and used to grant wishes. Did I that up? No, that was bad writing on my part. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a lot of granting of wishes. I'm just deleting the second grant's wishes. <laughs> that, that's just too much coffee on my part. I've been drinking coffee all morning, and I think I just was typing wishes. So what does the stone do? <laughs> Hey, I'm Xander. And I'm Kim, and you're listening to Geek Prime. Wonder Woman 1984 was released in theaters and on HBO Max on Christmas Day, and the past week has not been kind to the film. Yeah, we're going to get into the controversy in just a bit, and even our own ways of how the movie could have been fixed. But first, we should note that there will be a lot of heavy spoilers in this entire podcast, so just be warned if you plan on watching the movie, you should watch it before you listen to this. So Wonder Woman 1984 takes place in, obviously, 1984. Uh, It's been almost 70 years in-universe since the first movie, and Diana is working at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. A stone that grants wishes is discovered and stolen by aspiring oil tycoon Max Lord. Wonder Woman has to fight Max and Dr. Barbara Minerva, who becomes Cheetah, to stop them from using the stone to grant the world's wishes, which all come with an unseen cost. Now, if that sounds like a convoluted plot, you're not alone. Uh, There was a lot of reaction to this that you have been tracking. Yeah, so let's start with some fan reactions. We did ask you guys on Instagram what you thought, and the answers are pretty unanimous. So uh, nobody likes you when you're 23. Good reference. Um, Said... (laughs) Kind of boring. Mehul Chandra Official um, said it was entertaining enough. Uh, Ron2522 wrote, if you saw the movie Wishmaster, you already saw this. Interesting. Ooh, that's that's actually a pretty good point. <laughs> good point, Ron. Uh, Cookie Monster, uh, also known as Arena, uh, said it was very messy and inconsistent. Friend of the show. Before we deep dive into deconstructing all of that stuff and really um, getting into the details of the movie, I just kind of have a little rant um, just because I, I, I feel like looking at this from a really fair point of view. Um, listen, I know there weren't a lot of movies to critique this year. Um, so naturally, a lot of critics have jumped all over this one. Uh, so you have these sort of Cohen Brothers film majors uh, talking. Shots fired. I, I yeah, I, I like to do that on the show. Um, so you have these like Cohen Brothers film majors talking about an iconic comic book character, which frankly none of them are qualified to speak to. So yes, more shots That's fair. fired. Um, but some of the things that I guess I've been seeing um, over and over from these sort of the the film critics that tend to also cover Sundance, which. You know, makes no sense why you were assigned to this. Some of them are saying Gal Gadot is a bad actress. So an actual quote from an actual review that I read, I think it was some sort of major magazine, like entertainment magazine or something. Um, Pine gives the movie heart and oomph, as well as emotional expressivity, which is necessary given Gadot's narrow range. In her debut super outing, Gadot was the wobbly axis in a a movie that ran smoothly sometimes despite her. So I I will say I think that that is, uh, while there's a lot of legitimate criticisms about this movie, that's that's kind of unfair. I, I, I don't I think I think Gal Gadot is is a perfectly good actress. Um, I 
there's plenty to to knock on Wonder Woman 1984, unfortunately. But this this is not the <laughs> this is not the move. This is not the this is not the thing that is. This is not the critique that you're looking for. Yeah, I, and I think what's throwing everybody off is that the original, the the first Wonder Woman movie was such an incredible movie. It was actually it was it was really good, really well done. People loved it. It was a fan favorite. It was a critic favorite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to love. And and one of those things to love about Gal Gadot in the first movie was that she played the iconic fish out of water Wonder Woman that yeah. everyone knows. Everyone knows the the um the ice cream scene from from the yeah. comic books and and she played that through the whole movie so perfectly. And I think people were expecting that charm from her again without really understanding that um that this movie is Gal Gadot has been in our world. This movie's Diana Prince has been in our world for a couple decades. Almost now. a century. Yeah. And she's not a fish out of water. She's actually seen a lot. Yeah. She's technically an like Yeah, she's gone through the Depression, World War Two, you know, Korea, Vietnam, all the whole Cold War into the the height of the Cold War in the eighties, which is where this movie takes place. And and yeah, I, I think that the 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 I think that well, I, I kind of dig that you made earlier about it being, you know, Coen Brothers film majors. Um, I think that is part of why her her acting is being criticized is the the people doing some of these criticisms don't know the material and maybe don't know where the critiques lie in the plot and the writing. And so they feel like they have to critique something more technical like the acting. And yeah. so they and you know, so they they just hone in and are like, oh, okay, well, you know, there was some there was some bad writing for for you know, I I think particularly you know towards the end, Wonder Woman, the writing for Wonder Woman got bad. I don't think I don't think Gal Gadot's acting was bad. I think the writing, frankly, was was subpar. But I don't think these a lot of these critics know enough about the material. It would be like me going in to critique um, a a Harry Potter movie. I don't know the source material. I don't know what the bounds of that universe are. I don't know what the characters are supposed to be like. So I'd probably just say, oh, I think that was a really weird scene. I think that was really weird acting there because I don't know it. And I think that's where a lot of these critics are are coming in and, and critiquing uh, Gal Gadot's acting. Yeah, and you brought up a great point. I think the writing was really lacking which is upsetting because jeff johns um and patty jenkins i mean jeff johns has written some of the most iconic um especially green lantern stories but he's he's done some amazing writing over the decades for dc he knows dc so it was really surprising to me that that this movie was was what it was, you know? Yeah, and, and we'll get into that because, you know, we did um, in our critique look at some of the comic book source material and, and maybe not source material, but should have been source material. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of reimagine how this movie could have been made better. But I did want to loop back to your point about CGI. I, I think, you know, in conversations with peers about this movie, my 
um, opinion on the CGI seems to be the most controversial opinion that I hold, and I would like to put it out there, and I would like uh, for you guys to uh, weigh in and let me know if you agree. Um, the CGI was bad. Now, my opinion is, in watching a lot, a lot of superhero movies over the years, I think all the CGI for all these movies are bad. Um, I think they are all equally bad. Um, and again, people will fight me on this, but I remember seeing Thanos for the first time and watching his lips move and going, that is awful. Um, I remember a lot of CGI happening during fight scenes, uh, especially with the first Avengers movie. That was like a little... That was almost 10 years ago. I, I understand. Um, and and for surely, you know, the the folks who worked on Wonder Woman should have caught up to the technology. But I go into superhero movies expecting some level of CGI that is going to take me out of the sort of the imagination that's needed um, for for these movies. So I actually didn't mind it. I did not mind Cheetah. I did not think she was actually that terrible. I did think it was clever of them to lower the lighting on that fight scene yes. um, to, to sort of mask how how low quality the CGI was. Because um, if you were if you were gonna make bad CGI and if you were going to just, you know, be okay with it at, at least darken it up. Yeah. At least darken it up, you know, yeah. um, give us, give us some, some mood lighting, <laughs> um, to distract us. So, um, I thought that was clever, but it didn't honestly bother me as much as it seemed to bother everyone else. Um, I just expect that level of CGI yeah. all the time, every time. It's just, it's just hard to do a superhero movie. It's hard. Yes. There are yes. some things you, you have to do and there's some things you have to fake. And there's some things that are just so incredibly outrageous to fake, which is a human body taking cat form. Yeah. Um, and, I do think, I do think uh, yeah. Thanos looked a lot better than like his CGI looked way better. And so did, um, so did Hulk. Yeah, Especially okay. as Professor Hulk in Endgame. Yeah. Okay. I will. I, I, yes. Endgame was the, that was some great CGI, and then and and that's stuff that you know Marvel and Disney took a while to master. But you know, I just I just expect yeah bad CGI all the time. Well, so now that we've talked a, a bit about what we don't like, and we're going to take this movie apart a little more later. Let's let's. Let's give it a little, a few points. Let's talk about what we liked a bit. So I, I was skeptical about how they were going to bring back Steve Trevor. I thought that the way they did it, it made sense. Um, it, it, it made sense in the, in the context of the movie and the movie's parameters. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I mean, I will, I will say I did not agree with, I, I would not have had them bring him back with the wishing stone. I did think that, you know, the hidden cost being, uh, being her powers was interesting though. I would argue that the hidden cost was Steve jumping into some dude's body. I mean, that was never really fully explained, but, um, but I, I did think it also, it was able to give Diana a bit of closure without robbing the 
emotional resonance of Bruce getting her the original picture of her and Steve and Charlie uh, and everyone in uh, in the beginning of Wonder Woman 1984, which is, you know, which confused fans because when she was looking for it in Dawn of Justice, everyone was like, does she not know how JPEGs work? Like, you know, <laughs> she's looking for this picture. Can Does she know that it's probably on her computer somewhere? It might be on Facebook. But I, I think so. I think that it it kept that emotional resonance. But at the same time. And I'm getting ahead of myself by going back to things that I didn't like. It robbed a lot of the elements of Dawn of Justice and Batman v Superman and all that with Bruce collecting superheroes and studying superheroes since there was clearly a superhero out and operating in the mid 80s that Bruce would clearly have archival footage of and, you know, I, I would assume they would have heard about in Gotham City. But let, let's get to what, what you liked about the film before I go deep, too deep down that hole. Yeah. So um, what I liked about the movie, um, there's not a lot, so you'll have to bear with me. Um, the marketing leading up to the movie was great. Uh, so that's my world. That's what I do. I, I'm actually in advertising, but that, you know, marketing and advertising is what I do outside of Geek Prime. Um, so the the lead up to this movie, there's just so much great sustained hype, such great use of influencers, such great press coming out around the movie. Um, but the, the merchandising was some of the best merchandising we've seen out of DC in a while, um, which really makes a difference. I mean, those gold Reebok sneakers, I know people who bought those sneakers, at least three people who bought those sneakers, like the day that they dropped, um, the lounge fly bag collection. I own the wonder woman, 1984 bag. Um, the, her universe collection looks really great. The rock love jewelry collection sold out, um, in record time. So the, the marketing and the hype and the merchandising leading up to the movie was, was some of the best coming out of DC, which is, you know, honestly, it was really, I think one of the best next to the the marketing around Black Panther and Spider-Man. Yeah, with, yeah. With Black Panther's Kamoyo beads or the the Spider-Man Which was Rock Love. Also yeah. did that. Or, yeah. or or the Spider-Man merchandising that's been going on since uh since Homecoming. Yep. Spider-Man and Coach. So yeah. yeah. Um that's some of the I I think this was some of the best marketing we've seen since then. Uh, unfortunately, the the movie wasn't as good as those two movies. It, it might have worked against them, honestly, because it built up so so much hype, and the movie didn't deliver mm -hmm. on all that hype. Um, but I do, I do, you know, sort of commend DC because I, I honestly think sometimes DC is lacking in that department, um, and and commend DC for for you know executing um, that that much hype leading up to the movie. Um, I also, I mean. Gal Gadot, um, despite having uh, been a problematic figure, um, you know, uh, on and off, uh, she in general is just stunning. Uh, the costumes, I, I, especially her costumes, were stunning. The white gala dress is just amazing. The gold suit is breathtaking. I think it, that has to be everyone's favorite part of the movie was the gold suit. Um, we'll get into it later about how they didn't really 
do a lot with it. And, yeah. And, and it was very a, underutilized. Yeah, it, it was a little bit disappointing. Um, but just the design of the suit is just beautiful. And um, for both the white gala dress and the gold suit, I already saw a bunch of people cosplaying, like doing some really amazing cosplays of both of those. Um, so I, I, you know. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, in 2021, we get we get conventions back. And um, I would love to see everyone's amazing, you know, Diana Prince cosplays yeah. in person. I would love to see it. I mean, the pictures are already incredible. So, so keep cosplaying, guys. Um, and then finally, um, I would say thank you for bringing back Chris Pine. Chris Pine... I'm going to say it right now, um, is the superior Chris. Like We don't have to debate this anymore. He is the best Chris. Um, and it's just always a pleasure seeing him on screen. So even, you know, however you feel about how they brought him back, um, I- I'm glad they brought him back. I think he was a really bright part of the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was good having him back. I think wrapping up, I, th- I think it was good to have some way to wrap up her Steve Trevor thing uh, and not have him just be back permanently. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was that was good. So that kind of goes into what I didn't like about the movie. So and this seems to be a chronic thing with uh, the DC extended universe. I just really feel is. I feel like. A lot of the DCEU films, the hero and the villain are mismatched. I've gone through that. I mean, I've gone through this a thousand times about how Suicide Squad was up against a Justice League dark enemy. And and they teased at the end of Dawn of Justice, a Justice League enemy that would have been a Suicide Squad enemy. Like it it just it it, they they keep mismatching these enemies. for someone like Wonder Woman, you either need a big enemy like Ares or you need uh, someone, uh, another a mystical enemy because a lot of her power, her powers come from the gods, which in the DC universe is is magic adjacent, which is why at one point uh, recently, actually, she leads Justice League Dark. Um, you got to put her up against someone like uh, like the enemy Grail. Uh, who is an enemy of the Amazons? Um, you need you need something big. I mean, Cheetah is a good enemy, but the Cheetah wasn't even really the enemy. Yeah. she was only the enemy for like five minutes of the movie. Um, it, it's just it's tough, and and I think it was just just the movie wasn't well managed. I don't think the story kind of came together well. I think motivations were all over the place. I mean, did Max care about his son or did he not? Because he kept going back and forth between Alistair is everything and I don't care about Alistair. And I know I'm getting ahead of I'm I'm getting ahead of ourselves in in how we would fix the movies, but it's just I mean this is this is the the core of what I didn't like about the movie is wrong villain, as usual with DC, um mismanaged as usual, the DC, I think, I think, I mean, in Batman v Superman, you know, Doomsday was horribly mismanaged. I think the first time you see Doomsday, it's got to be something bigger than like, you know, a minion of Lex Luthor. Um, but yeah, that that's that's the core of what I did not like about about this movie. What about you? 
Um, it like for for me, we can we can break it down character by character because there's something I didn't like about each character. There's something at the end when we talk about how we think it should have done. I would have just honestly thrown the whole movie out and started all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I mean, and and there are little things. I didn't like it from minute one. I didn't like the Amazon scene. It wasn't as impactful as the Amazon scene from the original. It also kind of went against the Amazon scene in the original because in in the first one, because we so <laughs> then this is a this is a funny little uh, little admission here is when we when we turned on uh, Wonder Woman on HBO Max. I just clicked on the first Wonder Woman thing I saw because I thought you know HBO Max would have pushed 1984 to the very top of of. Um, of its feed, but apparently the, the first wonder woman was the first movie I came across. I didn't read the whole title. I just saw, I saw wonder woman. I clicked on it and it started playing and I thought, wow, this, this isn't this so bad. Seems, yeah. This first off, this is, this is pretty good, but also why are we going, did we not go through her origin story? And because it begins with her origin story, I was thinking, did we not go through her origin story in the first movie? So we kind of got a refresher of everything that happens before, uh, Steve Trevor gets to Themyscira just before yeah. watching 1984. So we, we didn't actually, honestly didn't realize it until the plane crashed. Until yeah, until until the plane, you know, Steve's plane breaks through uh, the barrier, and we looked at each other. Oh, this is this is the this first is the one. Wrong movie. But it, it was good to have that refresher because in that Antiope's been training Diana in secret until she's a teenager well older than in the beginning sequence of Wonder Woman 1984, where she's clearly been being trained and is competing with the warriors as, yeah, as, as a preteen. And so, I mean, she couldn't have been more than what, nine, 10 years old in yeah. in that, but she was clearly 14, 15 in the first movie when, when, uh, when Hippolyta finds out that Antiope has been, been training her. So it, it kind of, it kind of was incongruous there. Yeah. Like it, it didn't, it, it kind of contradicted the first movie, which was the better movie. So it, it, I don't know. It was very, it was very weird. And the lesson that she learned at the end of this, the, the Amazon part, what, which, which was basically like, you can't win if you cheat. <laughs> I don't know. Actually. I, I mean, that, not sure what the lesson was. She I, kind of reacted very, in a really bratty way. Yeah. Too, I mean, it was, was very, it was very, um, it was very 1980s in that way. The whole, you know, cheaters don't win and winners don't cheat. It was like the the thing at the end of the uh, at, at the arcade games where it cycle through and say winners don't cheat, winners don't do drugs, kind of thing. In every arcade game, I spent a lot of time in arcades in the 90s when I was a kid, and they're you know, but a it lot never more from the 80s. So, but that's what it felt like. Yeah, it, it felt very man. 80s, which I don't know if that was on purpose, but like. It, like kind of funny if that was on purpose, but it didn't pay off. Yeah, it didn't that, manifest I mean, in the movie. Well, it kind of did because the wishing, it's wishing cheating. for things is okay. cheating, and so you can't win. But I mean, nobody really learned that lesson. Super uh, Wonder Woman just talked them into that lesson. Like nobody kind of had Ant- Antiope grabbing them and stopping them from being able to to win. You know that no one got. It was just so. So there's the Amazon scene. Then that was followed very quickly by the mall scene that did not need to happen, um, which I also didn't like. Yeah. And her not so secret identity, just Wonder Woman out in the open. Yeah, in in the eighties, and yeah. <laughs> and for some reason that stuff isn't in Bruce Wayne's extensive files on these superheroes that are acting in secret, and and the fact that that she's so secretive about being Wonder Woman in. Batman v Superman. 
Like it just didn't make sense. Yeah, there, you know, there there was like it was like the those were the very first two scenes of this highly anticipated movie, and they had already lost me. Like from there, it was just uh like it just snowballed. It was just like a disaster. Um, she also was not doing a great job fighting those mall thieves. I mean, like she did not t- need to swing back that and forth that many times. It's just you 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 grab like the two on one side, and you know tie them up or like somehow incapacitate them and you grab the two on the other side, bring them over and boom, it's done. Like there was, you did not need to cause all this chaos in the mall. They're nameless grunts that did not honestly deserve this much of a fight scene. Yeah. They didn't have powers, anything. The most powers that any of them had was that one guy holding the little kid over the, uh, over the edge of the, the balcony. That was like the extent of their powers, you know? <laughs> yeah. So they lost me from the beginning. This, the, the whole movie lost me from the beginning. Yeah. Character by character, I think, um, is a good way for us to really sort of explore and break down the movie. Um, so we can start with Max Lord, played by Pedro Pascal, also yes. known as the Mandalorian. Yes. Also known as Oberon, Oberon Sand from Game of Thrones. Oh, That's yeah. where people originally know him from. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So I have, I have so many Max Lord thoughts um, and you've been hearing a lot of them because I've been, I've just been ranting nonstop about them because I, as I've said on the show before, I am, I'm a huge booster gold fan and I am a huge, huge justice league international fan. I thought that they were amazing when I was a kid and I think they're great now. I, I, I mean, recent justice league international comics have been Great um, Max Lord's development in the comics has been really, really amazing. Uh, he's a really, really good villain. I I think that there was a huge missed opportunity in this movie with Max Lord. I think there, I mean, I think there were a lot of missed opportunities, but I also think there was this weird kind of not totally nailing Max's character. Um, I thought that, I mean, I was trying, I was trying so much to give it a chance just because I love Pedro Pascal and I like, I thought his take on Max Lord was very interesting. If it fit very much into the Gene Hackman, Lex Luthor of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, it, it was very, which fit in like the very, the very, you know, late seventies and early eighties kind of movies and villains and that, that kind of, uh, 80s businessman kind of things and that's the core of what max lord is and i but i think if the plot had been better i think pedro pascal's take on max lord could have been way 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 more effective and in in the way that i would fix the movie you could even set up building to the justice league international uh it would so i mean potentially cause issues with um with the established universe of uh, of Bruce Wayne looking for all these heroes, but there could you know you could find ways around it. But I think there were a lot of missed opportunities, and I just the wishing stone. I just just bothered me. I I mean, I mean my my fix for the movie that I that I keep teasing that I promise we'll get to is is a little bit of a a hokey way to fix it. But I mean, I feel like any kind of wishing plot line is just you i mean it's tough to unless you're willing to like burn it all down which you can't 
in this movie because you've clearly got movies that take place after this. I, I wishing storylines are just really, really, really tough to cleanly, neatly wrap up. And I just I think it was the wrong the wrong thing to go with. Yeah, I think with the with regards to the wishing stone, I agree with you on on all those points. Um, but with regards to the wishing stone, I think I think they were going for a Dream Slayer storyline, but replaced Dream yeah. Slayer with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I don't know why you would do that, but okay. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. I don't. I don't think we needed Max Lord in this movie at all. I'm sorry. I love Pedro Pascal. Um, I thought he did the best he could with what he had. Um, but I just, like you, I thought it was a waste of a good villain. Um, and I, his son as his humanizing character also was not convincing to me. Um, and, and yeah, he had, when we first meet his son, Max had forgotten it was his turn to have the kid. Then he loves his son and he gives him a pep pep talk. And then he casts his son aside after his son begs him to spend more time with him. Um, and then it was supposed to land on this, this love speech at the end. And when, when honestly, Max Lord should have been getting arrested. Um, but, I, at that point, I was just convinced that was just the adrenaline talking, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I, was... I love you because I, I almost died and might get arrested, you know? Yeah. Not not like I love you in general, in total. Um, so I, it just wasn't the emotional resonance wasn't there for me. I also thought the real comic book Max Lord had other things that grounded him that could have been interesting. Um, like his dad, his dad was a good man and a businessman, but he committed suicide out of guilt after finding out like whatever product he was making was cancerous. Mm. You know, I think that is a, an interesting um, thing to explore and how that affects his son, Pedro Pascal or, or Max Lord. Um, you know, I think that would have been, if you were going to bring Max Lord into this, I, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, I, you know. I, I think that, I mean, I told you how I, th I, so I didn't realize the, the little like cost things of the wishes when, when Max was granting wishes and I got very excited cause I was like, Oh, okay. So they're just skipping the whole, uh, dominator storyline and they're going right to Max's metagene is active, uh, because in, in the comics, Max starts out as just a regular, regular dude. But, um, in the mid nineties, uh, when the the dominators invade Earth uh, in the invasion storyline, uh, they activate the so about two percent of the population has a metagene, but it's not active. And so the dominators activate everyone's metagenes. And so all these regular people just suddenly have powers. And Max is one of those people whose metagene gets activated and his power is being able to um influence other people to be able to subvert the will of other people, control other people's minds and actions. Uh, and the, but like there's, and that's what I thought they were going with, with, in with the wishing stone. I thought like, Oh, either this takes place after the dominators or the wishing stone is what activates his metagene because there's a cost to him using his powers. He gets nosebleeds and the more powerful mind he controls, the more, uh, or the more minds he tries to control the like the more like he gets like a nosebleed or blood coming out of his ears um like what happens when he tries to control superman he does this whole thing in one of his more recent appearances uh in the past decade where he hooks himself up to this blood transfusion thing so he can uh, inf uh like control the minds of everyone on earth 
because uh, he knows he's going to lose a lot of blood, so he's replacing the blood. Um, and I, so I was very excited. Like uh, I kept telling you, oh, his nose is going to start bleeding because he's controlling. It I, did. It. I mean, it did eventually. <laughs> um, but I thought when he took the, uh, um, uh, uh, the guy in Egypt when he took his security detail, I thought he was controlling their minds. I didn't realize that was the what he's taking in exchange for the wish, which I think controlling their minds would have been better. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the comic book Max Lord is very, um, he's, he's just league internationals, Lex Luthor. Uh, he's Lex Luthor with powers. Um, he's very, very cunning and very, uh, he's always, he's always ahead of, of the heroes. And so, him just being very reactive and yeah, like the, the way he was written. I mean, I think, like I said, I think that, that Pedro Pascal did a great job with portraying this 1980s Max Lord, uh, who was basically a promoter. Um, he initially latched onto booster gold because he was trying to get his hooks into the superhero community and booster was his way in. Um, but I, I thought that, I thought that just, yeah, he was written. He didn't need to be Max Lord. It wasn't necessary. I felt like they were teasing something that never bore fruit. Yeah. And so, um, coming off of that, there's a, oh, Cheetah. There's Cheetah. Yeah, I thought that was weird because she never, she never kind of wants to be Cheetah. She's never cursed with being Cheetah like Barbara Ann Minerva is in the comics. She just, the stone, she just is, you know makes an offhand comment about how she wants to be the apex predator and which is like totally a normal thing that people say. Yeah. But also is the cheetah, the apex predator. And it's also weird because, because at the same time as she had been like an eagle or a snake at the same time, this movie was being made (laughs) their year of the villain. Actually it was, this is year of the villain happened almost a year before this movie. Like while this movie was being filmed, they had, a whole storyline in the comics in year of the villain about what the apex predator is. And it's a combination of human and Martian DNA that Lex Luthor becomes the apex predator when he combines with Martian Manhunter's DNA. So it's, it's weird. It's just, it's, I understand that they don't expect people to be reading the comics and knowing that in the comics, the apex predator is human and Martian DNA combined, but just her saying that. And like the result is the stones like, Oh sweet. You're going to be like a human cheetah thing. (laughs) It was just weird, especially when there's already an origin story in the comic books Yeah, for you. Which was actually a really cool origin story. So I I honestly think one of the main um, improvements that could have been made to this movie is they could have focused on Cheetah and had a much more impactful message about the nuances of feminism um, that, that still had all the other, you know, sort of parts of a superhero film that that still pull people in, but also have a much bigger message and a much bigger lesson to learn. Um, there is so much to explore when it comes to feminism and jealousy, um, especially in the workplace. That's what Cheetah was designed mm-hmm. to do. She was supposed to um, represent that, you know? Yeah, she was to, a counterbalance to, to Wonder Woman. To, to Wonder Woman and, and love and a loving approach to feminism. Um, so I, and and just to set the stage here, not to like flex or whatever, but like I majored in feminist and post-colonial literature and I teach professional women's empowerment workshops. So I've done, I've so done- you know a, what you're talking about. Yeah, I've done <laughs> a lot of research into this topic. And I think that they could have made, they could have, 
you know, landed on a much harder um, lesson and a much tighter story um, if they, you know, and this chose to pursue this this you know, this message. Yeah. And this kind of goes into how I would fix the movie. Like it would set up this, this, this second movie where you could really focus more on cheetah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So the actual Barbara and Minerva, as you were saying earlier, um, has a really incredible backstory that actually would have made a great opening to the movie. Um, as opposed to the like Amazon opening that died away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> become relevant. Um, first of all, she's not, um, this down and out loser. She's a rich heiress actually. That's just really ambitious and maybe a bit, uh, narcissistic and narcissism would have been a really cool topic to yeah. explore here. Um, and then, you know, if you were going to take liberties with adapting some of the comic book material, she does, you know, go to Africa on an expedition because she is this very ambitious. Um, well, she's uh, also British. Archaeologist, yeah. So, like, you could take liberties and just make her, you know, have her be, you know, Kristen Wiig, have her be, you know, not get rid of the whole British storyline, but she could still be, you know, this this very narcissistic and and kind of like shoving aside kind of person. Yeah. Um, who, and cause it's, it's, and it's, it's just, I'll get into it later, but it's also just sad that, that she kind of, that they positioned her as this like down and out loser that just like admires, um, you know, Diana so much that she wants to be her. And then she, or she's jealous of her. Then she wants to be her. And then she wants to defeat her. And it's just, yeah, kind cause of you that, could still do the, I want to be Diana. Like, get, like, I want to have Diana's powers. If she, it was especially well, worked if she was narcissistic. If I didn't she was, like that progression of that, that I, I agree with that. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm working within the constraints of the movie. You're, I'm you're, not, I'm, you're I'm tossing out the, the whole, whole thing movie. away. Oh yeah, so, totally. Um, no, both are, both are good ways to look at it, but <laughs> That's totally what I'm doing. So uh, the other thing is Barbara and Minerva's hyperfixation on the lasso of truth would have made it yes. more understandable because one of the critiques of this film is why did Wonder Woman use this lasso so dang much? Yeah, <laughs> like, that goes into the whole there's there's too much swinging back and forth in the beginning of the movie. So much lasso. Like, like uh, sure, maybe if I had like a lasso of truth, I would like swing around the mall too, maybe. <laughs> but I, I mean, like it seemed like it would be fun. But it just made no sense because it, it it just yeah you're not it, fighting villains yeah and so but it would make sense in the context of the original comic book Barbara and Minerva it's it's almost yeah. like watching Wonder Woman through her eyes and just yeah and you're just all you're seeing is the lasso yeah. like yeah that would because be because she she thought of this the lasso as this like this um you know coveted you know historical object that she wanted for for a collection or something yeah um. And so that would make sense why there was so much focus on it. Um, what also was cool is in the comic books, uh, Cheetah actually does attack the Amazons, which again would have been a really cool scene if we wanted to do an Amazon scene. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have loved to see that and I would have loved for them to bring that set back, bring those characters back um, in, in that context. Um, the relationship with between Cheetah and Wonder Woman is actually more complex in the comic books than this movie allowed for, which, oh, yeah. you know, if we're going to do, again, giant critique of DC in general, it's just DC characters and DC storylines, and I will say this over and over again in every podcast that we ever do about DC, they're just too complex to fit into feature film format. They're too complex. Um, and, and they're the kinds of characters and they're the kinds of relationships that 
um, in order to be done justice, unfold slowly over time and and allow you to understand each character, um, respond emotionally to each character. And then, you know, again, the plots are also very complex and and you just can't squeeze that into two, two and a half hours, three hours. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the some of the best um, DC movies have been when they try to fit that complexity in, in just kind of like one-on-one kind of, uh, I'm thinking like, um, the 1989 Batman, which I is, is always will be my absolute favorite Batman. Michael Keaton is the best Batman, uh, or Batman begins and the dark Knight. Those two movies, I think the dark Knight rises had too much in it. Um, I, I think that that movie was, was trying to do too much, but I think the, uh, I, I don't think it was necessarily a bad movie at all, uh, but I think the first two, especially like I think everyone agrees, The Dark Knight is probably the best DC movie ever made. I mean that that take on the Killing Joke and Brother Eye and all that was just incredible, and they were able to they were able to work it all in. Now I have some disagreements about how Batman was is portrayed by Christian Bale, but I think he does a great great job of the the style of Batman that he's doing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you're right there. There is a lot of complexity. And I think that there were too many tangential lines mm-hmm. coming out of this. I think if they had just focused on wonder woman, cheetah, and then had like some, like, cause you've always got to have like the B villain, you know, you've got to have like, like in the dark Knight, there was two face in, um, in Batman begins. Uh, it was scarecrow as opposed to Ra- uh, Ra's al Ghul as the big villain. Um, there's always going to be the B villain, but I think that there were there there's enough that you could have had Cheetah be the big villain and then had a kind of, a kind of B villain come in there. So we can, we can talk about how a potential B villain could have been brought in. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that between the, the the ongoing saga between Cheetah and Wonder Woman that unfolds over in the comic books over a long period of time, um, you know, brings forth this concept of female relationships and female dynamics, um, you know, that the franchise of Wonder Woman is in such a powerful position to address um, because their relationship is not, you know good guy versus bad guy. There are times where they are friendly towards each other. There are times where they come together. Then there are times when they're pulled apart and they're adversaries. And I think that that is, again, such an interesting commentary on on female relationships um, where narcissism and where jealousy are involved that Wonder Woman is in this unique position to address. Like, it's almost as if, like, like, the creators just didn't know like how much power they had to, to make mm-hmm. these bold statements um, and do it in a way that's entertaining and do it in a way that, you know, people will really attach to and talk about and think about um, long after the movie is over. Um, and instead they just boiled it down to this. Again, I really hated what they did with her. It just became a story about petty jealousy that yeah. didn't really resolve one way or the other. Yeah. I don't think at the end Cheetah learned her lesson. No, you know? and and it also it, it just I think kind of yeah, I think the the take of of Cheetah being 
sort of shy and and all that in the beginning i think robbed it where of of what it could have been than if she had been you know the narcissist that she another career-driven powerful woman because that's where you're that's where you're experiencing these conflicts Mm -hmm. and and it could have been a commentary on how you know what happens when we don't support each other Mm -hmm. um but instead it's instead it turned into you know your timid if your timid friend ever had uh wishing powers she would uh she would she, try and she would try kill to rip you. your face off. Yeah, and that's that's so, that's so terrible. And then also, don't get me started on everyone. Everyone who grew up wearing glasses has been sharing the evil villain meme. Oh yeah. About why why every evil villain in every superhero movie um, starts out as like this dork who wears glasses. Yeah. Like that's I really mean, unfair. I mean, frankly, in, in Batman Returns, uh, that's how Selina Kyle starts out, and and it's also the the old. Um, attractive woman meme, uh, like not meme, but like trope from from movies where uh, all you know, take off your glasses, put your hair down, and suddenly you're a supermodel. Yeah, and all that. But before but that, she's all that. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah exactly. I hate it. I exactly. Hate it so much. Um, yeah, it, it just, yeah, there was a bunch that uh, that was just. It was yeah, yeah. The what they did to Cheetah to me on honestly was just an injustice to Cheetah that she could have been such a much more powerful character and they could have made such more, such a bolder statement than they did. And instead it's, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's, Hey, your, your dorky friend is going to get hot and then try and rip your face off. Yeah. Yeah. That's so terrible. And I mean, in terms of wonder woman, I don't feel like this movie really advanced her story that much. And I understand that, there's a certain point of continuity that they're going towards with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, all that. But you can do things to advance the storyline, which, as I keep saying, we will get into when Kim and I both fix the movie. Um, but it, I mean, like I said, it's unclear why Bruce had never heard of Wonder Woman, why he didn't have footage of her from a mall in the 80s if he's so desperately is searching for these heroes to fight against dark side. I, it, it just, it was just weird. And like, that's the risk you run with like time jumping. Uh, you, you, you risk messing with, with established timelines. That's why you got to plan it out ahead of time. I mean, I know they have a lot more space to do this because they have what 15 to 18 episodes a season. But I think the flash, um, usually does a really good job of, plotting out the storyline, the, the effects on the future. And also, frankly, they, they live like they live with the changes to the timeline. Mm -hmm. It's harder to do that with movies though, because you're investing so much money in stuff that people are consuming years apart. And it's, it's just very different from storytelling from a TV show. But I mean, that's the danger of, of jumping through time. Uh, but again, I think it could have been fixed. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Diana in this movie, the inconsistencies are are just a little wild. Like, Diana is a really bad friend in this movie, and that is not the Diana 
that we know and love. Uh, I and and I actually got that idea from a really great IO9 article. Um, so feel free to look that up and check that out. But I agree with it. I I think that she's acting very undiana like. Um, and if you look at if you boil down the plot to a man, Steve Trevor, <laughs> distracts Diana from further pursuing her friendship with Barbara. And then another man, Max Lord, distracts Barbara from doing the same with Diana. Like, you see the problems with this. But, like, Diana is does not treat Barbara very well. Um, a lot of presumptions are made from the get-go. So Diana, after, like, if you think about it, they just met. It was It was Barbara's first day at work. They have first a, week. It was her first week, but fine. They have one round of drinks mm-hmm. they, and and a really great sort of um, you know girl date, which is awesome. Um, and then immediately after that, when things start falling apart, Diana assumes that their relationship is comfortable enough that she can lecture and boss around and make demands of Barbara. I thought she was being incredibly aggressive with Barbara in the week following. Um, considering that they never had follow-up drinks or never hung out since that one day, you know. Um, And then Barbara also for thinking that Diana is the ultimate woman after one round of drinks. I I would love if someone would would go to one one happy hour with me and be like, that guy, he is, oh, it's the pinnacle of man. (laughs) We we should just just erect statues to him because he is... Amazing. I would love that. It was just insane. If I could find out where they were drinking or what they were drinking or what made Cheetah think that, I Look, I would go there. This is not how relationships work. It's no. Just, is yeah. it? It was just so – it was so bad um, and, yeah. and just so contrived. And, and and I just couldn't – I couldn't believe it and I couldn't follow it. And, and it just left me baffled from – that point on as to why anyone is reacting the way that they are. Yeah, it, it was weird. And and I mean, in in that vein, moving on to Steve Trevor, I I just it killed me that there was no closure on Oof. on the body that Steve stole. So I I thought it was interesting that they had instead of I thought when he they first brought him back, I thought it was going to be or when we knew that he, they were going to bring him back, I thought it was going to be like he was just going to appear uh, but I thought it was interesting that they had him jump into a, an existing person's body. But that storyline was never followed up on. We kind of, you know, we see this dude in the beginning and then like, you know, the camera twirls and he's Chris Pine. And then we see this guy again as a reflection in the mirror. And we never see him again until the end of the movie. And it's just it's just weird. I, I felt like that was just an obvious plot point that was just never what like why why did steve jump into someone's body why did he jump into that body who was that guy they started examining that guy's life and then they just raided his closet and it they just kind of like you know this guy i mean he's now on camera having stolen a fighter jet uh he is like it's all i mean it was just very weird. Also, the fact that, yeah, Steve Trevor doesn't have a passport, but Steve Trevor doesn't need a passport. The guy whose body he jumped into needed a passport. And why didn't they ever check if that guy had a passport lying around somewhere? I mean, you don't need to do too much digging to find my passport if you jump into my body. I mean, if anyone wants it. Um, <laughs> but I, I also I was waiting for some kind of closure on on that point 
Um, I, I, I did enjoy having Steve Trevor back. I did enjoy having Chris Pine back. I thought, I thought having the mirroring of him being the fish out of water as opposed to Diana being the fish out of water and Diana showing him around, um, mirroring the first movie. I thought that was really good. Yeah. I thought that was very Agreed. fair to both characters. I thought that was very, um, and, and it, you almost forget for a little while that, um, that Steve is from the 1910s that he was clearly born in like the 1890s. Um, until like he's marveling at jets and stuff. And you're like, Oh, that's right. It, they weren't like in world war two. They were in, you know, the first world war. And like, there's been so much advancement since then. And like, you know, and him not knowing about radar and all that was, I thought pretty good. I thought them the creating the whole invisible jet thing. I thought that was fun. Yeah. Um, but what I really wanted was for him, for that guy whose body, um, was jumped into, I really was dying for them to even see a slip of paper that said Ted Cord on it. Cause I thought that guy looked like he would make a really good Ted Cord who becomes blue beetle, who is a member of the justice league international best friends with booster gold and works with max Lord. I like they, there were so many, there's so much low hanging fruit that they could have just grabbed. And again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I just, that was, the biggest thing for me with Steve Trevor, I thought, I thought his scenes were great. I thought, um, I thought that Diana's reactions to him were great. I thought their, their scenes together were amazing. I thought Chris Pine did a great job, um, kind of closing out that character. I, I really enjoyed that, but I just, I needed some closure. Yeah. Diana got her closure. I didn't get mine. And I feel that's a little unfair. So a point on the body snatching, um, the body snatching <laughs> was undoubtedly the most problematic part of the movie. Literally super creepy. Everyone I know on December 26th was talking about the body snatching. So point blank, Diana's dead boyfriend used this man's body as a meat sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it like that. And oh. Diana had sex with said body without the man's consent. Yeah, it was just, yeah, when you think about it like that, it's, ugh, it gets very icky. So how anyone thought that this was a good idea is is beyond me. But so putting all that aside, I don't know how, but putting all that aside, I I I agree with you. They, like, the, a lot of the, best moments of the movie were the Chris Pine moments, the invisible jet, um, the scene where you have to suspend your disbelief and wonder how they're flying through fireworks. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I was saying, I'm not a pilot. I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not an expert on, on aviation, but I feel like you shouldn't fly through fireworks. I feel like that's a bad idea. I mean, like a, bird pooping on a plane causing yeah, all sorts of like issues. Like, if you can't so, have a drone near a plane, why, why would you be able to have, like, small explosives near yeah, <laughs> but, a plane? Yeah, but, you know, that aside, that was such a lovely scene, though, such a touching scene. And honestly, the way that Steve Trevor went away was not emotion. It just, there was no emotional payoff there. He was just kind of like, you go. And then he disappears behind a column, and that yeah. was the last time we see him. And I was like, no, you 
We're supposed to have sacrificed. Like, if it I kind of undid the closure of the first movie, him sacrificing himself. He has to sacrifice and himself. We're getting ahead of ourselves because the the Steve sacrificing himself a second time is how I would fix the movie. Oh, that's right. So okay. do we want to do we want to just go, go to that? Let's All go right. Into how so you would fix the movie? We, as we've been saying this whole podcast, we both talked about ways we would have fixed Wonder Woman. Uh, it's. And it's, I mean, this is not the first time we've done this. We gamed out um, a, a fix that I would have loved for Suicide Squad, which you can find on the site. Um, and we both came up with different versions. I focused more on how the ending of the movie could have been salvaged if you just changed the last 30 minutes or so of the movie. It could have redeemed the first hour and a half and set up some pretty good future DC movies. Kim's fix is more along the lines of if you just uh, took everything and ripped it up and threw it out (laughs) and put it in a capsule and buried it at the bottom of the ocean and made a new movie. So I'm all about reduce, reuse, recycle. So I'm trying to recycle the rest of the movie by just tweaking the ending. (laughs) Hey, if you want to pollute the oceans with a (laughs) bad bad movie. Um, that's your business. I'm going to now fix the movie. Okay. Uh, starting where actually where Kim just pointed out where Wonder Woman left Steve and there was a little, little Steve, you know, just creeps behind a column and tries to pretend nobody sees him. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. Like, like what does Steve do after that? Does he like, like there's chaos in DC around him, but he knows that he's not going to be around for it. So does he worry about like the dude whose body he's in? Does he, is he like, well, this guy's got to get safe or is he like, Hey, you know, I'm going to get some, like some, some gelato or something. I'm going to, I'm going to see if, you know, I can get my hands on, I don't know, some barbecue here in DC. Why not? Um, anyway, so when, when wonder woman leaves to fight max at the broadcast center Island, uh, she should have, Taken Steve with her, this could have given us another invisible jet moment since Steve obviously can't ride the lightning like like she does. Um, so she would then go fight Cheetah and and then hold Max off uh, as Steve enters the broadcast center so he can get close to to Max. And knowing that he's essentially stolen some other guy's life, and that him being wished back into existence doesn't really help Diana. He then grabs Max's arm and wishes since he hasn't made any wish at this point. Uh, this is where there, you know, he can give a big speech about letting the past live in the past. And while you treasure it, you need to move forward. And that would kind of help with the theme, you know, a better theme of the movie rather than like winners don't cheat, uh, which is a little trite um this would be more of of a theme of the pa- of being past centric both for wonder woman who has been you know spent clearly spent the last several decades you know with this lack of closure with steve but also this past centric thing for the viewer because of the the severe 80s nostalgia of the movie and Steve, like I said, hasn't wished for anything yet. He wishes for something along the lines of the past X number of days didn't happen. Or I want to reset to everything to just before the mall heist. And that way, the whole world is reset before the chaos, before the wall, before the nukes, before everything. So you don't have to deal with the fallout of any of that stuff, which I think would have severely changed the DC universe when we got to Dawn of Justice, which it didn't. 
um, which is weird. Uh, and then you could have the convenient newscast trope of uh, some doctor on a news broadcast explaining, uh, oh, the recent you know mass hallucination, uh, since a lot of people would just write it off as a weird dream. Now, like I said, that's the whole like I wish things would go back the way they were is a hokey way to do things. But I mean, that that's what you get when you go with like wishing timeline or wishing storylines. Um, so then Diana, now that we're back at the very beginning of the movie could knowing about the mall heist and its target, uh, report to the FBI. So we could have the beginning scene all over again, but instead of the guys breaking in, the guys walk into the jewelry store with their guns and the FBI pops out and arrest the guys, arrest the jewelry store workers and seizes all the artifacts. They would then, as we saw in the movie, get processed by the Smithsonian, hmm. where Diana could secretly t- intercept the Wishing Stone and store it securely somewhere, maybe with the God Killer sword on Themyscira, uh, maybe somewhere else. You don't have the J- you don't have the the Justice League satellite or moon base or the Hall of Justice to put it in right now, uh, but she could find somewhere to securely hide it away that it would be protected. Uh, And then you could have uh, something similar to one of the last scenes of the movie where she runs into the the guy whose body Steve took. Meat suit? Yes, meat. Yes, meat sleeve. Um, The imagery is just disgusting. (laughs) Uh, Where she could introduce herself, maybe even, you know, strike up a friendship. I was shocked that she didn't introduce herself. He didn't introduce himself. They just kind of were like, hi, and then walked away. Yeah. And, you know, they could, you know, introduce each other and he could reveal he is a young engineer and inventor named Ted Cord, who will become the Blue Beetle. Uh, And that would and just saying he's Ted Cord would would instantly allow fans to understand, oh, this is awesome. So we're setting up like potential future movies. Uh, meanwhile, it would set Max and Barbara Ann on like their proper villainous roots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max would understand what power felt like, and he would be the, one of the few people who knew that there are superheroes instead of everybody knowing that they're superheroes. He would know that they're superheroes and, a, and a route to power would be controlling them, which would give him the, the desire and drive to create the Justice League International uh, or some form of, of that superhero group and control heroes the way he did through the JLI. Um, and this this could set up, like a, like I said, a Justice League International-style storyline uh, for him, for Ted, and get us closer to the Booster Gold movie that the world deserves. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Minerva, who now has the this confidence or you know which i don't think she shouldn't have had in the first place but like you know she now has this this confidence but also this like dark narcissism uh that the act that the comic books character had uh she wants to get stone like powers again so we could see her resigning from her research job at the smithsonian and signing up for archaeological digs through stag industries and that's run by simon stag who is the investor that we see max in the early in the movie having a fight with so simon stag and and his company run archaeological digs and this could set up a whole batman and the outsiders kind of movie with uh because Simon Stagg's the one who sent Rex Mason to Egypt to get the Orb of Ra, and that turned him into Metamorpho. And so what we could see is her signing on to Stagg Industries and 
getting on a plane and meeting Rex Mason, him talking about how he's headed off to Egypt, uh, and her talking about how she's headed to Africa where, uh, for an archaeological dig, where in the comics, Cheetah gets her original powers yep. and the curse of looking like a cheetah. And that way you've set up uh, a future Wonder Woman movie with a proper cheetah. You've set up uh, other, you've set up, you know, all these other storylines, a metamorpho storyline, which then could lead to Batman and the Outsiders. You've set up Blue Beetle and Max Lord to set up a Just League International storyline. And you've also fixed the 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 problem of heroes appearing too early in the established universe and really kind of save the movie from itself. And so that is that is how I would end this movie. And then maybe at, in the in the after scene credits, I, I yeah, I feel like the the mid the mid credit scene could stay on its own. The Linda Carter yeah. uh, cameo. I thought that was really good. But yeah. um, but it, it just I think that would have really tied up the movie that we were given a lot better. I, I, I think that's a very compelling argument. I actually would have enjoyed that. Um, I mean, I still would have had to suffer through two hours of the movie and, but the payoff at the end would have made, I think I would have felt it was worth it if we had had that payoff at the end. And I think it's quite ambitious to assume that DC would want to make the po- potential spin-offs that this could have spun well, off. Into. Even if you don't make them, you at least kind of show that it, there's a bigger universe out there and that there's, there's more things in the works. There's Ted cord, there's Rex Mason, you know, cheetahs getting her power. You know, you can, you can have the, at least give yourself the option to follow up and it's been established. If you never follow up, that's fine. You don't have to follow up on every single reference, but it gives you the option of following up. It's 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 similar to like Captain America's shield being in Tony's workshop in Iron Man one. Like there weren't a whole ton of plans at that point for the MCU. There was just kind of like, hey, can we make these movies and get them out and make them successful? But they set up a lot of future movies. That's and fair. they set up a lot of future encounters and future stuff that were then able to be grabbed on and followed through with. And I think very well. I wish DC put the same kind of thought in in its movies instead of trying to make what their what their original plan for the DCEU was, which is instead of this big overarching shared universe, we're going to have all these directors make their little self-contained movies within a shared universe. And I think that that is a detriment to the DCEU. But so let's take all that. Let's set it on fire. (laughs) Let's put it in, in a, a concrete block inside of a lead box. Oh, come on. Let's dig a hole in the bottom of the ocean, uh, (laughs) down as close as we can get to the crust of the earth put that box down there, cover it up and never speak of it again. And what would Wonder Woman 1984 have been if you wrote it? So I I think what you're getting at is that I just want a whole redo. Um, So I posted my thoughts on my Facebook page and you announce your wish for Wonder Woman 1984. I do. I I honestly (laughs) do. Um, And I got a bunch of interesting responses. So a colleague of mine, Jason Stack, uh, pointed out that there was a waste of a possible Sandman connection with the Dreamstone. And I was like, that. This, I thought, was 
fascinating. That is genius. Um, so here's why I think they should have just fully gotten rid of Maxwell Lord and put in Sandman in this movie. Um, but uh, so Sandman uh, gets reinvented, actually, in Wonder Woman issue 300, which, ta-da, came out in 1983. So it aligns perfectly with the 1980s theme of the yeah. movie. Um, this version of Sandman is Dr. Garrett Sanford, who is a UCLA psychology professor who became trapped in the dream dimension while rescuing a U.S. president. So it makes sense that Reagan would be a character. because Yeah, instead of this weird Reagan why? that they had. Why was he here? Uh, I get like they were like trying to be like, this is the 80s, so Reagan. And this is the power of the, <laughs> of the wishing stone. But yeah, it was just, it was weird. It was really strange. Um, but it would have made sense that Reagan was in the movie. And... Not to not to get off track, but Booster Gold in one of his in one of his, in his first in universe appearance in uh, DC saved Ronald Reagan and George H W Bush from an assassination attempt. I'm just saying, it, all signs are pointing to Booster Gold. I don't know why we're not doing it. Anyway, <laughs> I, sorry, I, I'm with you on that. Back to Sandman. Um, it does having Sandman in this movie does solve the Steve Trevor body snatching dilemma um, in a number of ways. So they don't have to take this full plot, but there are I it's I don't know where they got their plot from anyway. So if we're gonna make up some stuff, um, you can borrow some elements from Wonder Woman 300, which takes Diana to Earth Two, where she's saved by that Earth's Wonder Woman. Yeah, so the multiverse. I mean, that's a cornerstone exactly, of DC is the multiverse. Exactly. DC is so great at at the multiple universe theory um, or the multiple earth theory. They're so good. They execute it so well. It's one of their strengths. And I don't it's know. It's what all the crises are always about. It's what, it's what Dark Knight's Metal is about. It's what the, the soon to be finished death metal storyline is about. It's all the multiverse. Like yeah. that is the cornerstone of DC. So that means that Earth One Trevor is dead and stays dead, but we do get our Chris Pine fix when they visit an alternate dimension, which Again, DC is known for and does really well. So you could pick up Chris Pine from another dimension. Um, and then the nameless meat suit, credited as handsome guy, um, <clears throat> which I know you want to be um, Ted Cord. Ted Cord, which I I do I, I do appreciate. And in my conception of the movie, it would it would be Ted Cord, but. In your conception of the movie, this totally works. Yeah, so I do appreciate the the Ted Cord um, Blue Beetle um, theory, but Meat Suit could also be, or he, I guess, handsome guy as he's called, um, can be replaced with a teaser of Garrett Sanford attempting to romance Diana. So we does we know that this doesn't necessarily end well, and they don't actually end up together. But that'd be a great, meaningful cliffhanger, and we could get a Sandman movie out of it. Let us know what you thought of Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. What you liked, what you didn't like, what you would change, what you would keep the same. Uh, and thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter, Geek Prime X on Instagram, geek.prime, and on Facebook and YouTube, and you can read features and articles anytime at geek-prime.com.